If you have a Bible with you, open up to John chapter 14, John chapter 14, and we're going to be looking at this morning. If you are taking notes there in your bulletin, you'll see uh, the title of the sermon is Jesus's Last Will and Testament. Jesus's Last Will and Testament. We're looking at John chapter 14, and this morning we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 27. Verses 25 through 27. So we've been going verse by verse, as you know, through this incredible gospel, and we're going to reiterate a few things because that's what the Lord does, and we're going to go a little bit further today with these three verses, verses 25 to 27. Jesus says this, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Father, we want to bow our heads and our hearts before you this morning, and we worship you as the risen Savior, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, and we just declare that there is no one like you, and we're grateful for the opportunity to read from the words of Christ, from this upper room discourse. And we're grateful to know that Christ leaves with us the scripture and he leaves us his peace. And so we pray that today, as we look at these things, that our hearts will be greatly encouraged. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a last will and testament is a legally binding document that defines what you are leaving behind when you die. This is a document that specifies how a person's assets, including real estate, personal property, and investments are distributing, are to be distributed after the person passes from this world. And as you know, this document is commonly referred to as a last will, or more simply just as your will. How many of you guys have made a will? And you know what I'm talking about. You kind of talk about all the things you have and what you're going to do to give those away when you die. My kids keep telling me I need to make a will. So that's something Lisa and I are working on. They're going to be asking me after the service. So I have to just go ahead and say that's something we all need to work on, right? But Jesus here, I believe in this passage, is talking about leaving us his will. And after, um, after, uh, we, as we read this text, basically what we're learning is, is that maybe, you know, at some point you've wished to be a part of a will. Maybe you wish that you had a really rich uncle or family member that you didn't know about that left you like a hundred million dollars. I mean, how many of you ever thought that would just be really nice if I just had a rich uncle that I don't know about that left me, me in their will. And wouldn't it be so nice if someone left you a house by the beach or a cabin in the mountains, or a ranch on the plains? What, what if you woke up tomorrow morning to find out that somebody died and left you stock options, appreciating investments, or the next big tech company? I mean, I might even get excited about a free year to Chick-fil-A. You know, I mean, I could, I could, I could handle that. Well, John 14 is Jesus's last will and testament. In Jesus's last will and testament, there is nothing about money, and there's nothing about houses on earth, and there's nothing about stock options, and there's nothing about investments or appreciating assets. Jesus's last will and testament is not about silver and gold or riches untold. Jesus's will is not about materialism, it's not about possessions, and it's not about the things that this world offers. Thank God. Jesus offers us something far better. Jesus offers us something that money cannot buy. Jesus leaves us something that no one on earth possesses. Jesus leaves us something better than planes, trains, and automobiles. Jesus leaves us something better than all the money in the world. Jesus leaves us something that is intangible, something that is priceless, and something that is unbelievable, and that something is his peace. That's what he leaves us. Jesus leaves us his peace. He said in verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This peace is the best thing that you could ever imagine. This peace is the most beautiful thing 
that you could ever receive. This peace is the most loving gift that Jesus could ever give. This peace is a peace that is incomprehensible. This is a peace that is unfathomable. This is a peace that is infinite, boundless, and immeasurable. Is your heart troubled today? Are you anxious today? Are you worried? Are you struggling with your family, with the situation at work, with your classmates? Are you going through a trial, a difficulty, or a hard time? Well, let me encourage you this morning, as we all go through those trials in life, that Jesus says, my peace, I leave with you. Do you know his peace today? Jesus left it for you. Have you experienced this peace today? Jesus told you about it. Have you received this peace today? Jesus says, this peace, I live with you. My peace, I give to you. And so I want to spend a little time this morning just looking at three headings that will help us better understand what it is that Jesus is teaching us in verses 25 through 27. Number one, first major heading for today is this, the things which Jesus has spoken. The things which Jesus has spoken, that first blank says this, that a place has been prepared for Christians. A place has been prepared for, script, for Christians. Notice how he says in verse 1, or, or excuse me, in verse 25, he, he gets into this section saying, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. So we got to ask the question, well, what things? What things has he spoken to us? And going back to verses 1 through 5, we could be reminded that Jesus has spoken to us about a place that he has prepared for us. Remember, this is the upper room discourse. This is the same night that Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's only 12 to 18 hours away from the crucifixion. And so Jesus gets away with his 12 disciples, and he says, there's a lot of important things I want to show you. He washed their feet. And I want to tell you that he teaches throughout this discourse, and Jesus's last words are precious. And so to his disciples, one of the things he says to them is, I've got a place for you. I've got a place. He wants, he wants to prepare for them a place where they can go, that where he goes, we can come and be with him where he is. Another thing that Jesus has already spoken about is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Verse 6, obviously, that's where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so he's already spoken this to us. We're talking about all the things in verse 25 that he's spoken to us, a place. He's spoken to us about how Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. In fact, in verses 7 through 11, Jesus told us that he and the Father are one. Jesus says in those verses, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. The words which Christ speaks are from the Father. Jesus is in uh, the Father, and the Father is in him. And so again, we're seeing these incredible things that Jesus has spoken about. The next one, D in your outline, in verses 12 through 14, Jesus has already spoken about how that believers will walk by faith. Believers will walk by faith. Those who believe in Christ will do the works that Jesus does. In fact, Jesus says that you will do even greater works than these. And I believe that he's referring to in means and in extent, and in the number of things that, that the Christ followers do ever since Christ came, that the gospel would go forth into the whole world. What are the things that Jesus is talking about in verse 25? Well, your next subpoint E, in verse 15, Jesus had spoken about the fact that whoever loves Jesus will keep his commandments. Jesus had said, if you love me, then you will obey me. Jesus says that you will know them by their fruit. Jesus has called us to walk in holiness and to walk in humility and to walk in obedience to his word. And so there's so many things here we're just kind of being reminded of even in chapter 14. In fact, the next one in verse 16, Jesus had promised that Jesus will ask the father to send another helper. And we read that in verse 16, this other helper, as you know, is the Holy Spirit who will empower the believer to walk in obedience to God's word. The Holy Spirit will convict you, and he will instruct you, and he will enable you, and he will empower you to be an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. 
And so all of these are meant to be words of encouragement and words of challenge. In verse 17, the next one, Jesus has spoken about the fact that the Holy Spirit will dwell inside of the believer. One of the most incredible truths of the New Testament, that the Holy Spirit would actually dwell inside of you. Not with you, but in you, as your body is now a temple of the living God, that the Holy Spirit will remain in you, and he will give you power over sin, and power over temptation, and power to persevere under trials. Thank God that Jesus is promising, as he's praying, that the Holy Spirit will come dwell inside of us. And then in verses 18 through 20, Jesus had already spoken about how the, the fact that Jesus will not leave you as orphans. This is not a temporary relationship, but a lifelong one, an eternity-long relationship. And Jesus may be leaving for a time to go to the cross, to be crucified, and then later the ascension up to heaven, but he will be coming back. There is a second coming. Jesus will return for all of those that would be in Christ, that we would be taken up with him into glory. And then in verse 21, Jesus had already spoken about the fact that through obedience, Jesus will reveal himself to you. And we saw in verse 21 how if you're obeying Christ's commandments, then you are showing that you love him. And he who loves Jesus will be loved by God, and Jesus will love him, and he will manifest himself to him. He will reveal himself to you as you walk hand in hand with obedience to our Lord. And when you want to feel close to God, And when you want to enter into the Holy of Holies, then look to your high priest, Jesus Christ. Listen and obey him. Walk with him, and he will reveal himself to you in ways that you never imagined. And then in verses 22 through 24, we see how Jesus had already spoken about the fact that God will make his home with us. Again, these are all things in summary fashion that Jesus had spoken about. That's right. Not only does Jesus live in your heart, Not only does the Holy Spirit dwell inside of your soul, but Almighty God will make His home in you too. What an amazing thought to think about how verse 23 says just that. He'll make His home with us. And so that brings us up now to verse 25 when Jesus says, These things, all the things that we've just mentioned, plus more, these things... I have spoken to you while I am still with you. He is wanting to encourage his disciples. He is wanting to assure his disciples that even though he's about to go to the cross, that they should not be afraid. That even though Jesus is going to be crucified, they should not fear. That you know things happen in life that you don't expect. That things happen in life that you could never predict that things happen in your life that you would never even ask that would happen in your life. And in those moments, you can hold fast to God's word to say, you know what? Jesus is with me. God lives inside of me. The Holy Spirit dwells in me. And I have an opportunity to face whatever God brings. And I don't have to be afraid. Even though Jesus is about to depart from this world, these disciples are learning to be rooted and grounded in their faith and in the promises which God provides. And my friends, the same is true for you today. No matter what you're going through today, please be reminded of these same things, the things spoken about in the Bible. God has left us his word. His word is God-breathed. His word is authoritative. His word is inerrant. His word is infallible. His word is sufficient. His word is sharper than a two-edged sword. His word is like a fire shut up in my bones. His word is like a hammer that breaks a rock into pieces. His word is like honey, like honey from the comb. His word is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. His word never returns void. His word is powerful. His word is unalterable. His word is eternal. So when you forget, look back to the word of God. You've got the whole canon of Scripture to say, let me pour over my Bible. Let me be reminded of these things that God has already spoken to me. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 says, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Dear Christian, are you looking to the word of God and are you focusing on all the things that it says to you today? You see, I'm so Concern that today we run 
to other places to find our comfort instead of to the word of God. And just as Jesus gave his words to his disciples on the night before he was taken into custody and later crucified, God's word is for us today to encourage us, to calm us, to give us the answers that we need. Everything else is getting old. Everything else withers. Everything else fades. But the word of our God stands forever. The second heading I want us to look at this morning is simply this. Number two, the helper whom the Father will send. Your next blank says the helper will be sent in Jesus' name. Somebody say in Jesus' name. All right, I figured we, we could make it a little bit a little bit interactive here because it's in Jesus' name, right? The helper will be sent in his name. Look at what it says in verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I just want to remind you that the helper will be sent in Jesus' name, and the helper that Jesus is referring to is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your paraclete. He is called to come alongside of you to help you accomplish what it is that God wants you to accomplish. And in this context, what he wants you to accomplish is obedience to Christ and obedience to Christ's commandments. It's a reminder. You can't do it on your own. You need a helper. When you are weak, he strengthens you. When you are lazy, he exhorts you. When you need prayer, he intercedes for you. When you need direction, he counsels you. The Holy Spirit will come to initiate and complete the building of the body of Christ, which is his church. And he does this by regenerating us and then empowering us with spiritual gifts, which function to edify the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit is active in convicting the world of sin and glorifying the Lord Jesus and his teaching and in transforming the believer into the image of Christ. So this helper will be sent in Jesus' name. That means he's sent in Jesus' authority. This means that he's sent at Jesus' request. To be sent in Jesus' name means to be sent on his behalf. And in John 15, if you'll look over just one chapter, verse 26, Jesus states that he is the one sending us the Holy Spirit. John 15, 26, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Look over at John 16, verse 7. Again, Jesus says, nevertheless... I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And so what we're learning again in John 14, John 15, John 16, Jesus is saying, hey, it's better for me to go and send the Holy Spirit. It's better for me to go and accomplish redemption for every repentant sinner, and it's better for me to go up into heaven and intercede for the church, and I'm going to send you another helper, a different advocate, not different of a different kind, but another of the same kind. And I'm going to send him to you, and he's going to help you. In referring to the Holy Spirit, Jesus says this in Luke 29, 49, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. We need the Holy Spirit. We can't advance in the kingdom without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to you at the time of salvation. And the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. And part of what we're seeing here in verse 26, not only is Jesus praying that the Father would send the Holy Spirit on Jesus' behalf and in Jesus' authority. But the next blank says this, the helper will teach you all things. The helper will teach you all things. Now listen to me. Part of what the helper does is to teach us that which we do not know. He teaches us all things about God, the Holy Spirit, is not here to teach us all things about physical science. The Holy Spirit is not here to teach us all things about biochemistry. The Holy Spirit is not here to teach us all things about molecular biology or all things about calculus. Can somebody say, thank God? 
Thank God that's not the Holy Spirit's role. The Holy Spirit is not here to teach us all things about history or all things about poetry or all things about philosophy. The Holy Spirit is here to teach us all things about God. And he does that by giving us the Scripture. The Holy Spirit does not teach out of thin air. He does not teach in an ambiguous way. The Holy Spirit is not a postmodernist. The Holy Spirit is not mystical. He is mighty. He is not cryptic. He is clear. The Holy Spirit is not esoteric. He is here to explain to us the Word of God. The Holy Spirit does not teach us using color crayons or using a chalkboard are using a smart board, the Holy Spirit teaches us by using the Word of God. Do you understand what we're saying? The Scripture is partly given to us by the Holy Spirit. You know, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. And that word God breathed or breathed out by God is the word theo and neustos, which means theo meaning God, neustos meaning the root of pneuma, which is air in movement or breathing. Pneuma is also the word for the Holy Spirit. That's why we call it pneumatology. We're studying the work of the Holy Spirit. And so part of what we're seeing here is that God gives the word. Christ is the living word. When it says the word is God-breathed, that's a hint that the Holy Spirit also has a role to play in giving us the word of God. The Holy Spirit gives the word, and then the Holy Spirit teaches us what the word says and what it means and how it applies to your life. You can't see or understand the word of God without the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, teaching it to you. I mean, you can read it, but you don't understand it. You can read it, but you don't see how it applies without the Holy Spirit illuminating your mind. The Holy Spirit turns the light on. The Holy Spirit runs the fog out. The Holy Spirit makes what was hidden revealed. The Holy Spirit translates divine truth to us, and he speaks to us through God's word. Now, the reason that's so important is otherwise you're going to have to say, well, the Holy Spirit taught me something outside of Scripture. And as soon as the Holy Spirit teaches you something outside of Scripture, you're now comparing whatever that is that you think he's teaching you on par with Scripture. And the Bible's already said we do not add to or take away from this book of the law. And so every time the Holy Spirit speaks for God, he speaks from the Word of God. Ephesians 1, 17 and 18 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of the glorious inheritance of the saints." This text, this prayer by Paul in Ephesians 1, says that God gives us the spirit of wisdom. It's a reference to the Holy Spirit. And in reference and in return, the spirit of wisdom gives us the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the way that the Holy Spirit reveals to us Jesus Christ is through God's word. You wouldn't know about Jesus any other way other than through the Bible. If somebody's teaching you something about Jesus outside of the Bible, they might be using the Book of Mormon. They might be using some other book, holy book, but they're not using God's Word. And that's why the Holy Spirit only speaks to us through the Word of God. And the way that the Holy Spirit reveals to us the truth is through the Word of God. And through this process, your eyes and the eyes of your heart are opened so that you can see and know Christ. It's by the Spirit that we know that hope to which he has called us. It's by the Spirit that we know about the glorious inheritance of the saints. John 16, 13 says this way, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and will declare to you the things that are to come. So John 16, 13 is talking about, again, when the Holy Spirit comes, when he speaks, he will only speak what he's heard. He only hears what he hears from the Father. Our triune God gives us the word of God. The Spirit guides us into all truth. 
And all truth is found only in the canon of Scripture. The Holy Spirit proclaims to us what is and what is to come, and He does so through the divine revelation of prophecy, which is recorded for us in Scripture. This is Second Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but, but spoke from God as they were carried along by who? By the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that brings you the Word of God. It's not any other spirit. God's prophetic word has been confined to the scripture, and it is a lamp shining in a dark place. And scripture was not produced by man. It was produced by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to turn with me to 1 John, if you will. All of these verses we've looked at many times throughout this section of John 14, but here's a new one for you. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. I want to talk about this cross-reference to this idea of the Holy Spirit being your teacher. And here's what I'm saying. When it says the Holy Spirit is your teacher, number one, he's giving you the scripture, and then he's teaching from the scripture. Okay? He's giving you the scripture, and then he's teaching from the scripture. Here's what we learn in 1 John 2.20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. So John, the apostle, is writing to believers, and he's saying, hey, all of you who are in Christ, you have the teaching of the Holy Spirit. You're anointed, meaning you're saved. You have the oil of gladness in you. You've been born again. Every born-again Christian is anointed. You know, sometimes we say, oh, that was a holy anointed pastor. That was an anointed sermon. You know, and all the other sermons were unanointed sermons. You know, that's how we think of it, but the way the scripture speaks of it is anybody who's in the Messiah, the anointing of being a Christian, is anointed. So he's saying, 1 John 2, 20, you've all been anointed. You could, you could say it, and you wouldn't even be a charismatic, I'm anointed. I'm anointed by the living God. Look at your neighbor and just say, I'm anointed. I'm anointed. So you're feeling comfortable. I can tell you guys feeling comfortable. All right. I'm anointed by the Holy One, and what else does he say? He says, you have all knowledge. Well, how in the world can you have all knowledge? The way that you have all knowledge is because you have the anointing. And when you have the anointing as a born-again Christian, and you have the Word of God in hand, He begins to teach the Word of God to you. Skip down to verse 27. You're already there in 1 John 2. Look at verse 27. He is saying that Christ, that in Christ you've been anointed because of the Holy Spirit. And because of this, verse 27 says, But the anointing that you received from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Now, let me show you what some Christians do with this verse. They'll be like, well, you see it right there? I got a teacher, and it's the Holy Spirit, so I don't need you, pastor. I don't need you, preacher. I don't need anybody telling me what to do. I got the anointing. You guys are getting quiet. <laughs> Have you heard people say that about this verse? Maybe it's just me because I grew up charismatic. I don't need anybody. I just got the Holy Spirit. Listen, you need God's word. And you need a man of God to preach the word of God. And you need others in your life to help come alongside you to disciple you. But you know what you got? You have the Holy Spirit. And so when he's saying the Holy Spirit teaches you, this is what he's simply saying. He's saying this. He's saying because you're a Christian, because Jesus lives inside of you, because your eyes have been open to the saving grace of God, no man can teach you these things. This is about divine revelation and divine teaching. Listen, as a pastor, I have a responsibility to preach and teach the Word of God, but I cannot change your heart. I cannot open your mind. So what he's saying is this teaching, this anointing is a divine gift of the Holy Spirit to open and teach you the Word so that you can actually see it, understand it, and it transform you. That is what this text is saying. 
Only the Spirit of God can change your heart. Only He can renew your mind. Only He can make you see spiritual truth. It's His anointing that teaches you about everything. I can't teach you and you understand. It's got to be the Holy Spirit that teaches as the Word is preached that the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and begins to open up your mind and begins to open up your heart and begins to bring specific application to what it is that you're going through. This verse doesn't mean that you don't need to come to church and you don't need to hear the Word of God being preached so that you can learn. This verse does mean that it has to be the anointing of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God to teach you the truth and not a lie. So let me ask you, This question this morning, how can the Holy Spirit teach you the Word of God if you're not in it? How can He teach you the Word of God if you're not sitting under the preaching of the Word of God? How can the Spirit of God teach you the Word of God if you're not reading and studying and meditating on the Scripture? Let me encourage you today, Placerita Bible Church, get into your Bible. Get back to the Word of God. Let me encourage you today to get into the Bible more than you get into sports, more than you get into fashion, more than you get into pop culture or into movies or music or history or special diets or into your friends. Do you have a hunger today to be into the Word of God? Oh, Christian, do you get up early? Do you stay up late? Do you find times through your day where you're saying, I just got to meet with God? I want to open his word. I want to meditate on what I'm memorizing. I want to focus on God's word. I beg you this morning, according to Psalm 19, to get into the law of the Lord, which is perfect, for it will revive your soul. I plead with you this morning to get into the testimony of the Lord, which is sure, for it will make wise the simple. I ask you this morning to study the precepts of the Lord, for they are right, and they will rejoice the heart. I'm asking you to study the commandment of the Lord, which is enlightening to the eyes. Do you know the rules of the Lord, which are true and righteous all Altogether, may the word of God be more desired to you today than gold, even much fine gold. May the word of God be sweeter to you today than honey, than honey drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by God's word, you are warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. Are you in the scripture? Do you have a vibrant study? In the Word of God, are you feasting on it every day? And so we're learning that the Holy Spirit will be sent in Jesus' name, that He will teach you all things, and your next blank, He will remind you of everything that Jesus has taught. It is the Holy Spirit who will remind us of what Jesus has taught us. This word remind means to call to mind. It means to bring up. I told you several weeks ago, about how the Holy Spirit brings to mind certain verses and scriptural principles that you have studied when you need them the most. It could be in the midst of an evangelism encounter. It could be an encouraging verse to share with a friend. It could be a fighter verse to ward off temptation. It's the Holy Spirit that does this in the life of a believer. And in John 2, Jesus said, if you destroy this temple, speaking of his body, that he would raise it up in three days... Listen to what John 2.22 says. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered. See, they didn't remember it when Jesus first said it. This text says that when he was raised from the dead, they remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is a biblical example of the Holy Spirit reminding the disciples of something that Jesus had said so they could have even more confidence in the words of Christ which he had spoken. There was the triumphal entry when Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey, and everyone was crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to him and the highest. And then we read in John 12, verse 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered. Well, how did they remember? Because after Christ came, after he died, after he was raised from the dead, after he ascended into heaven, he gave them the Holy Spirit, and then they started remembering, like, oh yeah, Jesus taught us about this. He taught us about this in John 2. He taught us about this in John 12. They, they remembered 
what was written about him after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Luke 24. We read about how the two angels in dazzling apparel asked the disciples, why do you seek the living among the dead? And then we read this in Luke 24, 6 and following. He is not here, but he is, rem- but he is risen. Remember how he told you. While he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, and on the third day arise, and they remembered his words. How do they remember? That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's reminding you of what Jesus has already taught us. I don't know about you, but I need a lot of reminders. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that we have one who reminds us in the Holy Spirit. He doesn't chastise us. He doesn't scold us. He doesn't humiliate us. He just keeps gently and clearly and prophetically pointing to the words of Christ. The Spirit is constantly shining a floodlight on Jesus. The Spirit who dwells within us convicts us and He instructs us and He teaches us all in accordance with the words of Christ. The Holy Spirit is our best tutor that we could ever ask for. He is our most patient teacher that you could ever imagine. And not only does he give you the content, but he opens your eyes so that you can see it. And then he reminds you of these truths every day. I'm so thankful that we have a helper, a reminder with a capital R in the person of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that reminds me to love Lisa like Christ love the church. It's the Holy Spirit that reminds me to bring up our children in the teaching and admonition of the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit that reminds me to be sharing Christ with each and every person that I encounter on any given day. And so now that we've looked at these things that Jesus has spoken of, and we've looked at the role of the helper whom the Father will send, I want to take this last part of our sermon today and look at the peace which Jesus leaves. The peace which Jesus leaves. That first blank says the peace of God. The peace of God. Look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The peace of God. Listen to me. The peace that Jesus leaves is the peace of God. This peace is priceless. This peace is precious. This peace is precisely what every Christian needs to make it through this world. This peace that Jesus leaves with us could not, uh, could be, could be broken into two categories. So you see it there in your outline. Number one, let's call it saving peace, saving peace. And turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 5. We're talking about the peace of God. I'm breaking it down into two categories. Saving peace is the first category. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes this. It's the kind of peace, by the way, that saves your soul from the wrath of God. It's the kind of peace that saves your soul from the judgment of God, from the fires of hell. And here's what he writes, Romans 5, 1. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that it's through Christ that we receive the peace of Christ that he leaves with us, the peace of God. And that if you're in Christ today, you have been declared righteous through the atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross When Jesus died for you, he brought you out of darkness into light. You were an enemy of God, and now you have peace with God. You were a foe, and now you are a friend. You were following the prince of the power of the air, and now you are following the prince of peace, Jesus Christ. You deserve God's judgment, and now you have a defense attorney who is divine, who's pleading your case before the holy judge. Thank God we have peace with God. It's a saving peace. Look down at verse 13 of Romans 15. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Again, this is saving peace. Saving peace gives us joy. When you just think about it, you're like, I'm born again. I deserve God's wrath. I deserve his judgment, and he's given me hope, 
and he's given me peace. He extended it to me. This was on his terms. And he offered it to me through Jesus Christ by believing in the gospel. Saving peace comes with power and it comes with real hope for all of those who are in Jesus Christ. But there's a second peace that God offers and we'll call that number two, soothing peace. There's a soothing peace. Turn with me to Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. You see, you might, you might be here today, and a large number of you are probably Christians. You're in Christ, and so you're like, man, praise God, I got the peace of God, but my life's still a mess, and I still have worries, and I still have doubts, and I still have heartache, and I have fears. Well, be encouraged that not only does God give you the peace of God, which saves your soul from hell, but he gives you the peace of God, which soothes your soul. Jesus Christ offers that which would soothe your soul with a comforting peace in the midst of difficult times. Not only do we need a peace to save our soul from hell, but we need a peace to help us when we're anxious. And so Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, I believe this is that soothing peace that he offers. He's now talking to believers who are united with Christ, who are to be having fellowship with one another in Philippians and having the unity of the Spirit. And he says, you guys don't need to be anxious. You need to have this peace of God through prayer and dependence on God. He will help you with your anxiety. But you have to bring your concerns to the Lord in prayer with a thankful heart. You should be pouring out your heart before the Lord. And as you bring your burdens to the Lord in prayer, he lifts that heaviness. He lifts off that anxiety. He lifts off your worries. And he lifts them off of your shoulders. And he places them on his own. You know, it's like a little toddler who's dying to get a backpack and they just stuff it full of stuff, you know, all two of their books. And they stuff it in there and they put it on their back and they try to walk around the house. And at first they're pretty good and then they just start to grimace and groan and just like, you know, it's pretty funny, right? Watch a toddler try to carry around something like that. And all of a sudden you just look at them and say, hey, can I carry that for you? You know, when I've been on hikes with my kids, that's, that's the words they love to hear at times. Hey, can I carry that for you? Better yet, can I carry you? <laughs> you know, and then you carry that burden and you carry them. And what does that toddler do in that moment? They're like, ah, it's the best thing in life is having that burden lifted. And there's just too many of us as Christians, I think we're just grimacing and we're groaning and we're carrying around all these struggles. And God's saying to us today, my peace, I leave with you. Don't be anxious about anything. Lay down your burden upon me. Let God lift that burden off of your shoulders. He can carry it. He carries the weight of the world. Allow him to carry that burden for you on this day. You know, you have to fight for that kind of peace, though. For some reason, we want to hold on to that backpack. We want to hold on to those worries. I think we think it's noble. We think it's noble to worry. We think it's noble to be anxious. Why should we be worried about this? No, you shouldn't. You should give it to the Lord in prayer. Let him carry that for you. Lay your burden down on him. You got to fight for it. Isaiah 26, 3 says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So God keeps in perfect peace those whose what? Whose mind is stayed on him. You take your mind off him, put it back on your trouble, you've got a problem. You keep your mind on him, then his perfect peace is with you every day in the valley, every day at work, every day in your neighborhood, every day with that difficult medical condition that you're facing, you can have the peace of God. You have to keep your mind on the Lord and you have to be constantly meditating on his word and you have to be trusting him 100% to lay it down at his feet. And this kind of peace that Jesus leaves is also a unifying peace. Look at Colossians 3, 15. It's the kind of peace also that not only soothes our soul, takes away our worries, it's the kind of peace that unifies us together. Colossians 3, 15 says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. In that context, that's the kind of peace that rules in you, 
and that unifies you with one another because you're one body in Christ, and it gives you a thankfulness. In fact, the verse right before Colossians 3.15 talks about loving one another, and it talks about being bound together, and it talks about living together in perfect harmony. The peace of God leads us to having peace with one another, peace within our marriages, peace within our families, peace within our churches, peace with all of those who are in Christ. This peace that Jesus leaves with you is both a saving peace, and it is a soothing peace, and it's juxtaposed with the peace of the world. Your next blank, he's contrasting it back to our main text, John 14, 27. He's now contrasting this peace with the peace of the world. Look what he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Jesus says in the middle of that verse, it's not as the world gives. The peace of Jesus is completely different than the peace that the world gives. The peace that the world gives is temporary. The peace that the world offers is based on circumstances. The peace of the world is a pseudo-peace. Every treaty that has ever been made between two nations either has been or will be broken at some point. You cannot keep peace with another person outside of Christ, and the world is no help. Everybody walking around needing world peace. Well, give me a break. I mean, sure, of course it would be nice to have no more wars, but that's not what the Bible teaches. There will, there will be wars and rumors of wars. So I'm just saying, don't look to the world to offer for one minute through the UN or through anything else, some type of peace that passes everything else. No, we're looking for the peace of Christ. In fact, turn with me to Isaiah 48. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 22 says, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. You know what God thinks about world peace? He's like, hey man, there is no peace for the wicked. As long as this world is un in unbelief, there cannot be peace for them. In fact, Romans 3.17 says, The way of peace they have not known. When Jeremiah is preaching on repentance to the people of Israel, he says in Jeremiah 6.14, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Basically, that means that some in Israel were trying to offer superficial treatments for God's people who had a mortal wound. And what they needed was the balm of Gilead. What they needed was the Messiah. What they needed was repentance and true faith in God. And instead, they were given assurances of peace when there is no peace outside of Christ. In the end times, we read from 1 Thess 5.3, while people are saying there is peace and safety, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So you could look at this on your own a little later, all these references, but from all this we learn that you cannot have true peace unless you find it in God, from God, and by walking with Him. And the world is not a substitute for the real thing. The world is at war. The world will seek to tear you down. There is a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there, and the battle going on is between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Don't be sucked into worldly peace. There is no such thing. If you snuggle up to the world... Uh, to the world's type of peace, it will bite you like a viper. If you try to make friends with the world's peace, you will get stabbed in the back. If you pursue peace with the world, then you will be letting go of the peace which Christ gives to you. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the power of his might. Go with God. Receive the peace that Jesus leaves with you and let Christ's peace come to you today like a river flooding your soul. And so we've seen the peace of God. We've seen the peace of the world. And then last, I want you to know that your troubles are solved in Christ. Your troubles are solved in Christ. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What a beautiful thing for Jesus to say. My peace I leave with you, so let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus cares about his disciples, and he cares about you. 
And to be troubled means to cause inward turmoil, to stir up, to disturb, or to throw into confusion. And when, we're walking, when we are walking in the Spirit, we have love, joy, and peace. But when we're walking in the flesh, we have turmoil, confusion, and fear. And I know it sounds so cliche to say all that your troubles are solved in Christ, but it's true. You won't find it in the world. You won't find it in worldly things. You find it in this peace that I give to you. And so Jesus says to you today through his word, is your heart troubled? Are you confused? Are you in turmoil? Are you going through a difficult time? This peace, saving peace I give to you. Soothing peace I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. What does he say instead? Trust in me. Let not your hearts be troubled. Uh, well, he doesn't say trust in me in this passage, but neither let them be afraid. Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. It's inferred here. Come to Christ. Come to him. When we're walking in the spirit, we sense him and his presence. This is John 16, where Jesus says, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Do not have, you don't have to be afraid is what he's saying. God gave us a spirit, not of fear, 1 Timothy 1.7, but of power and of love and of self-control. So isn't this last will and testament of John 14, 25 through 27 so encouraging? I mean, normally you have to wait until someone dies before you know what you're going to get. You're like, well, I got to wait till grandma dies and we're going to see what we're going to get. You know you've thought it before, all right? But with this one, he's like, I'm going to give it to you right now. I'm going to tell you about it right now. You don't have to wait to the end of your life or the end of someone else's life. Jesus is saying, no, 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 this peace I give to you. I'm giving it to you right now. You don't have to wait. He's offering his will, his last will and testament to you today. He will send you a helper. He will leave you peace. And if you're in Christ today, he left you something more valuable than silver and gold. He left you with the helper of the Holy Spirit and the peace that only he can give. If you're here today and you're not in Christ, you are missing out on the inheritance that he offers to you. He offers help. He offers hope. He offers peace. He offers new life. He offers great joy. He offers a new creation in Christ that you can be, but you've got to repent. You've got to come to the end of yourself. You've got to come to the end of your road and realize I'm in sin, and my sin leads to hell, and that hell is a real place. And yet God says, I love you, and I'm calling you out. And through repentance and faith, you can have new life. And you can have a new peace. And you can have a helper inside of you. I'm encouraging you today to commit your life to him and receive the blessing of the Holy Spirit as he gives the peace that only Christ can give. Will you receive that peace today? I pray and trust that you will. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the reminders again this morning of the beauty of Scripture of what Christ leaves, not only with his disciples in the upper room, this incredible teaching, this incredible comfort, these incredible truths. God, we know that these are equally true for us today, that you reach down into our hearts today through your word, and that you give us this same teaching. You give us these same promises. You offer us this same helper in the Holy Spirit. You offer us the peace of God, which saves our soul and which soothes our hearts through the truths of your word. Thank you for our teacher. Thank you for reminding us. Thank you for being patient with us. Revive our hearts today and help us to be comforted with this love that you offer through Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.